Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And now I have to go to the doctor to uh, see how my blood work came back. I wonder if I'm dying of anything. <laughs> Is this for anything specific or just a random checkup? Nah, random checkup. My, my, oh, physical, okay. my physical. But I still had blood work done. I always get freaked out that I'm going to be coming back with some sort of you know cancer agent or that I'm going to have diabetes or something like that. Hope I'm not yeah. dying yet. I hope it's AIDS. <laughs> you hope it's AIDS. Jeez, you're a good friend. <laughs> but think of the weight loss. <laughs> I need it. All right, everybody, it's that time of the week, and thank you for joining us here at the Philadelphia Sports Table Podcast Show, the longest-running weekly Philly sports podcast show in the world. Grateful that you are joining us. Grateful that you downloaded the show. Longtime listeners, new listeners, we welcome you. We have got a great show. We are going to be getting into so much Philly sports talk and then some on this week's show. I am Jeff Warren, and as always, I am here with my good buddy, Len Hunsicker. Len, I know you're a little tired here, but other than that, how are things, man? Ah, good, good. Everything's going good. Uh, Got a pretty busy week, pretty busy show going on, (laughs) so... uh, yeah, let's get to it. Yeah, all right. And before we get to the agenda, before I throw it over to Len so we can let you know what we're going to get into this week, really quick, head on over to PhiladelphiaSportsTable.com. Check out our table talk show from this past week. Our good friend of the show, Eric Leonard, who is uh, kind of becoming a little bit more known here on the show. We had him on for some Eagles postgame podcast shows and some of our regular shows over the past few months. He and I talked about how trades are really becoming more and more the norm with sports teams as they are rebuilding. We talked about the NBA, and of course we talked about NFL teams, the Eagles, the Rams, the Browns, who are using trades as a new standard to build their team. So again, head on over to PhiladelphiaSportsTable.com. You can also check us out and our shows on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play to get all of our shows in that podcast feed. So that's our Table Talk show from this past week. So yeah, like you said, it is a busy show this week, so let's let everybody know what we're going to be getting into. Take them through it. All right. Well, uh, we have 
I mean, I'm not going to go through each and every move. We're going to be going through it, um, you know, as, as we go here on the show. But uh, we're obviously going to start off brief news and views with uh, the deluge of, of moves that have been going on with the Eagles, um, you know, who they've lost so far, uh, various things that have been going on with the team, and then uh, who is coming back, who the Eagles have signed. I mean, there's just – it's it's too much to go through <laughs> line by line. Right. Uh, so it, it, this is going to, you know – take almost an hour just to get through all the Eagles stuff alone. <laughs> um, so we're going to, we're going to get through all that stuff. And then um, number two story on brief news and views is going to be our pick, which team is going to be more fun to watch heading into the playoffs, the flyers or Sixers uh, and why, um, you know, so we're going to get into that. Uh, we have our, uh, our final four in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Jeff and I are going to go through our brackets and, and um you know, just uh, see who we think is going to be there uh, at the end. And then uh, we have our up or down segment. And then on the table, we have uh, James um, Seltzer. We know him from BGN Radio where he gets into the Eagles. But uh, we want to have James on because he's also the co-host of the High Hopes podcast, the Phillies podcast. So we're going to be talking, um, you know, a lot of Phillies talk, spring training, uh, the Phillies made a signing too. Maybe maybe you missed it amongst uh, all the Eagle stuff, but uh, <laughs> they signed a pitcher, which yeah. that should be you know pretty pretty interesting to talk about as well. So uh, we'll wait. get into all that with James. Yeah, I can't wait to get into what's going to happen with this Philly season. The optimism surrounding this Phillies team here in spring training—it's really something else. But we're going to get into it in a bit. First and foremost, we got to get to brief news and views. So let's do it. First story. And now this week on Brief News and Views. I really wonder how long this particular story is going to take. I was honestly thinking, Len, of taking all of the Eagles acquisitions, trades, releases, free agent losses, all that stuff. And I was thinking about just creating a different uh, table talk <laughs> type of. Uh, it, it really is uh, amazing, yeah. especially when you uh, <laughs> when you contrast it with, uh, you know, baseball. Uh, up until you know maybe re- like really the past like week or two, uh, how slow that off season was. Yeah, just with, with the complete lack of signings, and then uh, football free agency happens, and like boom, 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 one thing, and not just with the Eagles, with, with you know with, with a, a bunch of different teams, it's just like instantly fast and furious um, with, with football, whereas with baseball, I mean this this off season is is actually still happening, unbelievably. Uh, so it's been quite a contrast. I wanted to get into first with you, buddy, kind of just how you're feeling with this Eagles team. Of course, coming off the Super Bowl, a lot of us are still on that high, and frankly, we're going to be on that high for this next year and for the foreseeable future. There's a level and expectation, I should say high level and expectation level, that this Eagles team not just needs to repeat, but that Howie Roseman and this front office are really building a foundation for the future, that they are building something special here. And the feeling that I am getting when you go through all of these acquisitions, what the Eagles have shed, who's leaving, what the Eagles have brought in and what they're looking to acquire for the future, that future does seem bright. And I'm wondering if you are thinking as optimistically as I am. I know I'm Mr. Optimism on this show, Len, but are you still feeling optimistic based on the moves that happened this past week? Let's start kind of with overall picture first. Uh, I mean, it's hard not to feel optimistic. I mean, you know, they're not sitting on their hands. Um, I, Howie Roseman has earned every single bit of, <laughs> yeah. of uh, you know, uh, trust <laughs> and, and, and political capital that you could possibly ask for. I mean, you know, we kind of just really have to just say, OK, you know, whatever you do, we're, we're, we're with it because you haven't really steered us wrong to this point. 
Um, so it, it's tough in a sense that, you know, okay, this team just won a championship and you hate to see anybody leave from that team. Yeah. You know, you want to keep as much of that group together as possible because that group just did something that's never been done before in the history of, of the franchise yeah. uh, in winning a Super Bowl. So, you know, uh, you want to keep as many of those guys together as possible. That's never going to happen. Mm. As soon as you win a championship, both with the roster and with the coaching staff, you become a target. People want to sample your success, so they want to get your coaches and your players. And, and that's that's just something you have to get used to yeah. as, a, as a fan of a, a team that's successful. Well, I will say this, though, too. It's my understanding and from everything that I've seen, Len, so far, that 21 of the 22 starters are going to be coming back this coming year. And a lot of that deals with, and I should say, that that 21st individual was the Nigel Bradham signing, re-sign, I should say, where we got the news today that he is going to be on this team. It's a five-year contract, and he is set and solidified with this Eagles defense, which, I mean, I talked to Michael Kist from uh, BGN Radio, uh, the former Locked On Eagles uh, gentleman who we've had on the show. Talked to him recently about it on a table talk show and how important it was for Nigel Bradham to be re-signed because of the versatility he brings and the leadership calling the plays when Jordan Hicks went out. I mean, that signing today was absolutely huge for this team and organization moving forward to, once again, getting into potentially the playoffs in 2018 and beyond. So I'm thinking that 21 of the 22 starters coming back is a really, really good thing. You mentioned a lot of these guys heading out the door. We know that Trey Burton received a four-year deal from the Chicago Bears, $32 million. Bo Allen, he said his goodbyes as he is going to be heading down to Tampa Bay now. Um, and, and listen, when Haloti Nada was signed, the writing was on the wall there for Bo Allen. He knew it. He said his goodbyes over uh, social media. And Brent Selleck being released after 11 seasons with the Eagles, that saved the Eagles $4 million in cap space. So we haven't necessarily uh, seen the Eagles – taking starters out of the equation and I think that's really positive Len yeah I mean it is depth guys it's 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 guys that you know seem like it, it wouldn't you know exactly hurt the Bradham thing for me was big because I just I, I thought he brought so much to this defense and it is uh the area that I think they might be the most thin at this point is at the linebacker position so getting him back really uh was something i uh, to be fair, uh, to be honest, I really didn't expect it. I yeah. thought he was going to be moving on. Same so here. that was a very pleasant surprise, uh, if you ask me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the fact that it's not the starters that are leaving, it's depth guys. And, and look, that's going to hurt on its own, too. But they're at least replacing these guys. I mean, Nada is a guy that if you would have told me five years ago, the Eagles would have him. I would have been, you know, over the moon because right. I've always <laughs> liked him as a player. Um, and and look, he is an older guy, but you know this is with the way the Eagles have set up their defensive line. You're not counting on him to play the the vast majority of the snaps. He is now part of a rotation, which is going to save some wear and tear on his body. Um, so I think it's going to make him a more effective player. So yeah, I mean they're replenishing these guys that are leaving. Uh, I, I'm I'm interested in, in the tight end position. You know, you lose Selleck, uh, you lose uh, Trey Burton. That suddenly, you know, becomes awful thin behind uh, Zach Ertz. So I, it wouldn't surprise me if that's an area that they target in the draft now. Maybe, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe know, Billy so. Brown, who is who is one of those type of signings, a guy that they liked last year um, in camp. Um, he didn't didn't make the team, of course, but he, uh, you know, the. The 
team likes him. Doug Peterson likes him. So whether it's Billy Brown coming in, getting an opportunity, but I think, like you just said, whether it's the draft, whether it's somebody in free agency, they have to address the tight end, tight end position. But when you look at the team, I think here, Len, I'm not seeing too, too many holes other than maybe your kick returner, punt returner. Well, maybe punt returner, unless it's going to be Corey Clement. But when I look at this team, this is such a well-rounded team after winning the Super Bowl, after losing some, what I would call, and you said it, key depth guys, I still think this team is in a great position. Yeah, I mean, there, there's no reason, you know, to think that they won't be, you know, right back in the mix, um, yeah. you know, next year. I mean, it's but really... And obviously, so much of that is going to depend on on the health of, uh, of Carson Wentz. You know, it, Nick Foles. We still don't know what's going on there. Is he coming back or not? And if he does move on, how ready is Nate Sudfeld? He. You mentioned Billy Brown, and the first name that came to mind for me is Nate Sudfeld because to me, it, it's it's yeah, the, they're the same guy in a way in that they're guys that we really don't have a feel for as players, but the Eagles organization seems to be extremely extremely high on. Great point. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting in, in those terms of, of just like, you know, th- there there are a few areas where it's going to be that's going to be the most important thing uh, in, in this team's future success. And, and Wentz is one of them. I mean, if he's if he's not healthy and, and Foles leaves and Sudfeld isn't ready, then suddenly none of that matters. Exactly. Exactly. I remember everybody freaking out about, oh, my gosh, the Eagles aren't going to have any cap space. What are they going to do? They're going to be losing guys. No cap space. Howie Roseman is this genius in the Eagles front office. That wide rec- that Torrey Smith, that given up a wide receiver in Torrey Smith, trade him to Carolina for cornerback Daryl Worley. That ended up saving $5 million. I just still cannot understand why Carolina did that in a way, Len. Yes, they needed to replace Ted Ginn Jr., who they lost. They lost a lot of speed at the wide receiver position. Torrey Smith gives them that. Of course, he's an aging aging individual in this league, specifically at the wide receiver position. And I... Uh, I don't know. They could have just it waited felt for like the a Eagles. Panic move. Yeah, they could have waited for the Eagles to just release them because the Eagles were going to have to get rid of that five million. They were going to save it anyway, you know. And then you had Donnie Jones retiring. That saved the Eagles one point six two five million compared to two hundred fifty thousand dollars in dead money from him just walking away from the game. There, the Eagles also created seven point five million dollars by restructuring Lane Johnson's contract. A great move as well. So Len you don't have these contracts that are hampering necessarily Howie Roseman to be able to go out in free agency and pick up some guys that are going to benefit this team in the future. People who are freaking out about it. I was thinking to myself the whole time, let's just let things fall the way that they are because Howie really has done an excellent job with trades, with managing this front office. It's uh, it's, it's amazing to see. I mean, it's fair to wonder, you know, it's fair to wonder, you know, you, you see, you know, all the numbers going into the off season and, and you're like, wow, I mean, how are we going to make all this work? Yeah. You yeah. Know? So, I mean, I, I think that kind of, that kind of speculation is natural. I mean, but as we, as we said at the top, you really kind of just have to, you know, trust what Roseman is doing at this point uh, and, and just realize that, you know, he didn't come into this offseason blind. He clearly had some things he anticipated. You know, they've done the math. They've probably been doing the math since, you know, October of last year, uh, to be honest. So, yeah, I, I mean, you, 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 as a fan, you can't help but speculate. But, right. you know, they, they know what they're doing here. They do. And what have they done? Also, 
during this new year here in 2018, this new year, the Eagles have been concentrating on defense. I have to honestly say, Len, that I was a bit surprised that we heard right out of the gate, Eagles really want to re-sign and are going to re-sign Patrick Robinson. After they made the deal to bring Worley in, after they made the deal this past season, making the trade for Ronald Darby, we know that Sidney Jones is waiting in the wings. I think it's really incredible that there is such a concentration on the defensive side of the ball. Why is that? Because we know that defenses help to win in the postseason, in these playoff games. We see it time and time again, going team by team in the playoffs. If you do not have a strong, stable, and and playmaking defense, you're not going to get far into the playoffs. And Howie Roseman has concentrated on defensive the defensive side of the ball here and I just I love it I I really do bringing in Haloti Nada yes he's on the downslide of his career but he's going to be able to be that depth guy that's going to be able to clog the middle when you lose a guy like Bo Allen who's been extremely serviceable from a depth perspective I love that uh, you know you bring in a guy like Worley who is a great depth guy is going to be able to compete out there again Sidney Jones I can't wait to see what he is going to bring to the equation and from all indications too with Worley he's great corner uh, or he's a great corner that tackles and and that's what Jim Schwartz loves so Jim Schwartz is actually the GM of the defense I think here in a way and you know besides Howie Roseman of course doing what he's doing but I think the concentration on defense has been uh, methodical and it's been exceptional as well yeah, I, I mean, and you mentioned with with Robinson, you know, being a little surprised, and, and it is, you know, considering Worley and uh, and Jalen Mills and, yeah. and Sidney Jones. I mean, all these young names, but you know, uh, clearly he had enough big moments during last season. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, game changing moments, and you know, in some cases in the playoffs, where you know, perhaps that kind of uh, you know veteran leadership is something that they want in that in the corner. Um, in the corner position, and and to, you know, to be frank, they they really don't have that many. I, I I feel you could say veteran guys. It's going. They have a lot of young guys. You know, even Darby. You know, who I I think you know we're still wondering if he's part of the long term equation at, at corner. You know, he's still a relatively young guy too. So I mean, I maybe they just wanted that you know veteran presence to lean on there. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And let's not also forget too that the Eagles did make what I thought was a really nice signing. Um, or they, I don't know if it's 100% officially done yet, but free agent linebacker Corey Nelson coming from the Denver Broncos. I, I guess the deal is going to be worth about $2.25 million. It's a one-year contract, but I like the fact that Nelson is 25 years old. He was, he was listen, he was a seventh-round pick by the Denver Broncos, but he's a playmaker. And he plays special teams as well. And they may lose some special teams guys uh, in the course of this free agency. We know how many free agents the Eagles had. Bringing in a guy like Corey Nelson who can play special teams effectively and he's not eating up a ton of cap space. A guy who can really swarm around the ball. I really like that signing, Len. I do too, and especially you know when when you're talking about um, you know the whole the whole depth thing. You know, the, yes, they have Bradham back. You don't know what you're going to have in terms of you know is, is Michael Kendricks going to be back? I don't know. Well, that's where I wanted um, to go with this too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, maybe maybe that's kind of a replacement there. And I think Kendricks probably, and especially with the re-signing of Nigel Bradham, 
I think we're looking here that Michael Kendricks may be, once again, we're talking about it, and I, I guess I got to see it to believe it, but I think Michael Kendricks is probably going to be traded or released because if he is, this Eagles team is going to save a lot more money. And let's start thinking long-term like Howie Roseman is doing. We know that he's doing this long-term thought process because of Carson Wentz. We know that next year, Len, Carson Wentz is going to get a tremendous contract. That's It's going to be so large. You have to wonder if it's going to be depending on how this year goes, one of the biggest quarterback contracts in the league. I mean, if he has anything approximating this past season, you know, yeah. before he got hurt. And look, I mean, this is the young quarterback in the league that everybody kind of wishes they had. I mean, you know, yes, Jared Goff had a nice season and all that stuff, and there's a, some good young quarterbacks in the league, but I don't think there's anybody that you you project to have the future that you project Carson Wentz to have at this point. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he he is, you know, he's the foundation of the team. Yeah, yeah. I, I man, I could talk Eagles. You know me. I could talk Eagles for the next two hours here, and I know we oh, got to move on with the show. But anything else Eagles wise this week? Anything with the acquisitions, trades, releases, free agent losses? Anything like that that uh, you kind of want to get into that we didn't necessarily hit on? Um, I mean, not really. I mean, it was interesting seeing you know anytime somebody leaves town, you know, some of the reactions. I know, uh, you know, uh. Trey Burton wasn't necessarily happy, um, and, and he kind of That's aired true. his grievances. Yeah. Um, you know, and then you had Brent Selleck uh, getting the, the nice ovation at the Sixers game last night. Uh, so, you know, it, it's just interesting the uh, the perspectives in which players, you know, and look, and I get it. You know, you, you, you were part of this team, and, you know, you're, you're not being brought back. And, and it hurts, you know, as not being a part of that team. It hurts on a personal level, too. Like, you know, what, I'm not good enough, you know, now or, yeah. or, yeah. or that kind of thing, you know, depending on what your perspective is. So, so I th- that's always an interesting thing to 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 see how how players react to stuff like that. But uh, no, I mean I don't think you can be anything but optimistic as to what they have done so far this year. And and it it'll it creates you know all that speculation for the draft. Like okay, now these ah. things that we we thought were holes yeah. are no longer holes. So okay, maybe we maybe we're concentrating our efforts elsewhere now. So Ooh, let's get know, into the draft more. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know it's your it's your favorite time of the year, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I, I, and that's the thing. Well, yeah, for I baseball, mean, drafts actually are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, and, and it is a thing of like, uh, uh, and I'm going to say something. It, it may not be popular, especially <laughs> in this post Eagles Super Bowl world that we now live in. But like, I'm a little. I'm a little footballed out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this we, we we talked about it a little bit uh, before we started recording. This this is uh, I don't think the NFL has ever heard the slogan "absence makes the uh, heart grow fonder." They just they don't know how to go away. But um yeah, well you know th- this is going to be an ongoing thing as because you know it's going to be all this stuff is leading up to the draft in yeah. terms of what they're doing and and that talk you know isn't going away anytime soon. Yeah. It could be as you have to figure out. You know what they're doing. Are they going to make a trade with Foles because they have nothing between that, <laughs> that first point. pick and the fourth round? So you know, you especially for a team that is looking to, you know, maintain salary here and and stay under a certain number. That's all driven by good, young, inexpensive players. That's the big part is inexpensive, right, right. and that's the draft is where you get those players. So. Yep. Yeah, it's important. All right. Well, we're going to stop this right now. We're going to move on. I know you'll be happy about it. (laughs) We'll move on to our second story here on Brief News and Views. Story two. 
All right. We know that the Sixers and Flyers are likely going to be heading to the playoffs, and it's going to be fun to watch these teams. But for our second story this week, we're going to give our picks as to which team is going to be more fun to watch, more exciting to watch heading into the playoffs. Is it going to be the Sixers or is it going to be the Flyers and why? So, Len, I will say for me that it's it's kind of tough for me because I've, I I love both teams. We both love these teams. The Flyers, they've they've had a better than expectation season. They've they've had their share of injuries and they could possibly win the Metropolitan Division given where things are at. I mean, there's still a lot of time left in this Flyer season for them to pull out some nice wins here and do some good things in the Metro. But I'm not sure I see them maybe getting out of the first round as much as I can see the Sixers. So when I'm looking at this, if I had to gun to my head, which team is going to be more fun and exciting to watch in the playoffs, I'm going to choose the Sixers. That's what I'm going to choose. What are you thinking at this point? I'll give my reasons in a little bit. What are, what are your thoughts? I, I mean, I'm kind of struck by how similar it feels like both these teams are i mean to me i feel like these are both teams that uh have a chance to make the second round i I think there's a decent possibility they both teams get knocked out in the first round of their playoff series which isn't a bad thing i mean look you got to make the playoffs and you got to get that experience and get your feet wet in terms of all that so i'm not saying that kind of necessarily is a negative and there there is a a a good chance that b- both these teams could win that first round matchup. But I, I don't see either of these teams getting any closer than the, uh, or getting any further in the playoffs than the second round. Um, both teams have, you know, a lot of, you know, really young parts that we're looking at going forward, whether you're talking about Embiid, Simmons, Sarich, or, or, um, you know, Provorov, Patrick, Goss, <laughs> yeah. you know, Konechny, yeah, all that stuff. So, um, I, I would say the Sixers for me only because the, look the Flyers have always kind of been in this like they've always been close they've never bottomed out it's so like a holding always, pattern with them yeah they've they've always kind of been at least fighting for a playoff spot or making the you know making it as like the eight seed or something so they've always like kind of been there the Sixers have completely bottomed out and been nowhere near the playoffs for years <laughs> right. so this is the first time for this with this group that we've ever seen and it'll be interesting to see them kind of in that environment for the first time in forever and for the first time with this with this new nucleus. So right. that that's why it's it's more exciting to me with the Sixers is because it's a little bit more fresh, I think. And, and you know what? I was going to get into my reasons why here, and you kind of just hit the nail right on the head there. I mean, for me, it's been way too long since they've been in the playoffs. This rebuild has been methodical, yes, but my God, it's taken years. We're finally going to get there. <laughs> We're finally seeing the fruits of Sam Hinkie's labor coming to fruition with this team. And I also think because this is the first year that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons have been on the court together. They're growing with each other month by month, and it's helping the team in itself grow as well. And, you know, what better way for the cornerstones of this team to continue that growth than by getting into the playoffs? And I think that in itself can kind of maybe push them, give them an edge a little bit moving past the first round of the NBA playoffs. May sound like pie in the sky type of talk and comments, but that's just my thought process at this point. And I think that's another reason why I'm a little bit more excited about the Sixers heading into the playoffs than the Flyers this year, Len. 
Yeah, and, and like I said, I don't think it's crazy at all to to you know for either of these teams to win their first round matchup. Um, you know, it, and we don't know what those matchups are yet, so it's really hard to make a prediction. But um, yeah, I mean, for for either of these teams to win in the first round, it wouldn't be the the craziest thing in the world at all. I mean, it, it's entirely possible. Yep. All right. So you're going to go with Sixers too, huh? Yeah, and look, okay. you know, hey, I'll be. I'm, Anytime any of these teams make the playoffs, I'm excited because exactly. you know, just you know, <laughs> it's not it's you know something that you know. Like if you've been in Philadelphia for any amount of time or been a fan, you know, you know, you know success is not something that you know is is your birthright as, right. as a fan here. So you know, <laughs> right. hopefully we get to that point. I mean, you know, the next decade, all signs seem to be trending that way that this may be you know, the new normal, you know, in terms of expectations, you know, our teams are always going to be in the playoffs, but you know, it hasn't always been that way. So it's still, you know, fresh and exciting. Yep. All right. Sounds good. Let's now get to our third story here on brief news and views. Story three, the NCAA tournament is upon us here. And I know we haven't gotten into as much college basketball talk over this season as we wanted to. There's just so much going on with the Phillies, Flyers, Sixers, and Eagles. Then we try to get everything we can into an hour and 15 minutes, sometimes hour, 20 minutes or so here and there. But we definitely wanted to talk about the NCAA tournament and specifically the final four here. So, um, Len, why don't, I don't know if you, uh, I don't even know. Did you do a bracket in our, in the league that we have with our friends? No, I, I actually, oh, you, like, did, oh, you dirtbag. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm it, hey, if it's still open, I'll do one uh, real quick. I think it uh, is. Yeah, I'll, I'll get in. I just, this is my first day, uh, first of my four days off of work. And when I'm, when I, when I'm working, I work for 12 hours and then I'm doing stuff around here, like laundry or, or shopping or stuff like that. And I, those four, those four days when I'm working, I, I'm You're really a zombie. <laughs> not doing a whole heck of a lot, to yeah. be honest with you. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm just kind of getting back into the flow of things. I'll, I'll fill that thing out. Um, you know, when we get done here. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, I, do you want me to start but, off with my I, final I, four? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I mean, I have been looking at least. You know, okay. I, I'm aware of you know the matchups and and who I think is going to be there. But yeah, go. You start us off. Yeah. My final four. I'm going with this year is Virginia, North Carolina, Michigan State, and of course. The Villanova Wildcats, and I'm going to go so far as to say I think the championship game is going to be Villanova against Virginia, with Villanova repeating as NCAA national champions. <laughs> I'm a homer with this one, Len. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, you know that that's certainly fair. Yeah. Um, you know, I I have uh, you know some a, a little bit of questions in terms of you know how I think this is going to go. I I think I may be a little bit somewhat different than you. Okay. I have um, Gonzaga uh, going. I have Duke going, and I have uh, Virginia and Villanova as well. Um, Gonzaga and Duke. I mean, honestly, they, very very good basketball programs here that could absolutely get into the Final Four. Yeah, and and because that's the thing, Xavier. You know, as as the. Um, their bracket, I think, is really tough. Uh, and, and to be honest it with you, is. Villanova's among all the one seeds. Villanova has the easiest path in in, in their bracket. It, yeah. It's really, you know, you, you look at the two seed. Who is it? It's Purdue. I mean, that, that's really not that big a deal. The three seed is um, Texas Tech. You know, I, I mean, other, <laughs> yeah. these other brackets have teams like Arizona and and North Carolina and, and you know Duke and Michigan State and all that. Villanova doesn't have any of those you know perennial giants in there. Um, 
West Virginia is in Nova's bracket. You know what I mean? It, it's really these are teams that Nova should beat. They I should. Mean, they should. So to me, I think anything less than them at least making the Final Four can be looked at as a disappointment this year. Yeah. I, well, I think one of the best potential games – that we might actually see might actually be coming from the East. And that could actually be Villanova going up against number two, Purdue. And listen, we, I mean, we've seen this before the committee, they divert a lot of the glamor away from the East and they basically leave Villanova to, you know, fend for their occasional uh, tournament demons. As we know, you know, we know Villanova has been what the number one or number two seed in the East four times. I think since uh, 19, since 2014, the previous three they lost uh, in the second round each time. When they won the championship, they came out of the Midwest. So I, d- I don't know. That's something to keep in mind, I think, too. But for me as well, thinking that Villanova may win, I think there's this overall sense of what the program is, Len, and how it's going to be remembered in the future and maybe how these guys want to be remembered. I think if Villanova wins this year, they they could be considered college that college basketball's program of the decade in a way you know they're they're there in competition with duke and kentucky you know to claim superiority over this 10-year period and i think that might be in the back of their minds might be in the back of the coach's mind too so i just think it's interesting that they could put themselves in the program into this echelon based on what happens here in the tournament yeah, I, I mean, it's definitely interesting, uh, especially that you say that because, you know, look, Villanova gets recruits. I'm not saying that they don't. Jalen Brunson was a was a pretty, you know, highly rated recruit. I think he was oh, yeah. a top 25 recruit. Yeah. Uh, Omari Spellman w- was a highly rated recruit. So, I mean, let's not pretend they're not getting, you know, guys, but they're typically not what you think of when, okay, th- this guy is the number one recruit in the nation and he's going to have Duke and Kansas and Kentucky and North Carolina at his doorstep. Like, like those are the teams that you, that you really think of in that. So the fact that if they were to win this year, that's two national championships in, in a span of a couple of years. Yeah. I mean, that is a truly remarkable thing uh, in, in this era. I, I still sometimes think of Villanova as that regional team and not, not so much the national team I know. That, they, that they are at this point. Yeah. And, and yeah. you have to, you know, this is a team that spent a good chunk of the season at number one. So it's it's time to stop thinking of them as, you know, the little engine that could. Villanova's a legitimate, you know, kind of juggernaut program. Uh, ask anybody in the Big East. They, they've they owned the Big East for the past <laughs> few years. So, yeah. you know. Um, what do you think so, in, in terms of who's going to win? Because I'm picking Villanova to go all the way. Are you Are you going to be picking maybe Gonzaga? See, I, I, I don't want to do the Homer thing. I, I really do like Villanova to make the final. Um, and I, 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 my bigger issue is the other side of the bracket because I, Virginia is, you know, apparently the best defensive team in the country. And, you know, defense does win championships and all that stuff. I, they've, they've never gone that far, though. You know, it's exactly. always a team. It yeah. has been like they, in the past couple of years, they've been a two seed or they've been a high seed right. and they've always kind of bowed out early. So it's kind of that thing like until you get there, I can't fully um, I can't fully pick you. So I'm actually I'm going to go in another direction here. I'm going to take Arizona out of that bracket. Uh, so that'll set up a, a showdown of Arizona versus Gonzaga, Ooh. a couple four seeds. Um, I'll have Villanova playing. Uh, Arizona in the final, Ooh. and I'll take Villanova to win. All right, I like it. I like it. That boy, that'd be a really interesting matchup. 
Yeah, oh, and it's and it's one because there's a lot of teams in here that you know with the whole scandal with the NCAA and and they you know when they when they did the bracket there were a few teams that were involved in those FBI things that didn't make the tournament and yeah. a lot of this speculation that oh there's a reason why you know the NCAA didn't want them in Arizona's got that thing where their coach was kind of had that the wiretap issue oh, talking yeah. about uh, paying ten thousand dollars for a player so yeah. that's a that's a team that if they made it that far I'm sure the NCAA would be like mm, we really don't want to hand the championship trophy to this guy you exactly. know what i mean get the so, refs involved at that point <laughs> yeah that would be interesting to me, to me to see all right very good so those are our brackets let us know what you're thinking whether it's with the eagles whether it's with the sixers flyers playoffs coming down the road for those teams let us know what you're thinking in terms of the ncaa tournament and who you are picking to go all the way Shoot us off an email, feedback at PhiladelphiaSportsTable.com. We'd love to hear from you, read your email on the show, and respond to it. So with that being said, we're now going to move on to our Up or Down segment. Let's do it. Up or Down. Let's do one player this week, just in the essence of time here, uh, because we got James Seltzer coming on to talk some Phillies really soon here. Len, I'm going to give to you uh, kind of a segue to the Phillies. I'm going to give you a Philly. And that's going to be Jorge Alfaro. Is the needle moving up or down, do you think, for him as we're heading to the season? I think it's definitely moving up. Um, this is a guy I'm, I'm interested to see what he's you know, going to do at the plate. Um, but more than anything, I, I'm hearing a lot of good things about Jorge Alfaro behind the plate. And really, that was kind of more the question you know, coming into his, his, you know, development as a prospect here was, is he going to be good at framing pitches? The arm is there in terms of throwing out runners. Uh, the arm is, is considered possibly one of the best in the league for a catcher. Yeah. So yeah. that that's always there. You know, as long as he's making an accurate throw, he's going to gun guys down, but you know, pitch framing, um, stuff like that. Some of the defensive thing, maybe, to, uh, you know, handling balls that go in the dirt, uh, all that was kind of the big question, and it seems like they've done a really good job working with him so far in terms of defensively. The bat I expect to be there, but defensively kind of was the question, and he's looked pretty good so far. So I'm going to say the the needle's going up there. Yeah, I, I would agree because uh, you heard me just a couple weeks ago when we were talking some Phillies with uh, uh, Mr. Gross from the Morning Call, and I said, Stephen Gross, I said, listen, I'm concerned about <laughs> Jorge Alfaro's defense, and just over the course of a couple weeks span, Lynn, we've seen improvement. And I think that is extremely, extremely positive for this team. And if he can become that next general out there that, uh, and I've said it before on the show, if he can become that next general that kind of Carlos Ruiz was to a certain extent, I think there's something really special behind the plate there. Well, and, and that's the other aspect of, of a catcher's development that's so important is kind of being that, that horse whisperer for pitchers. Yeah. I mean, really developing that bond with your pitchers. And that's what, what made Carlos Ruiz so special is he he knew each guy's individual personality. He knew how to tailor a game plan to their personality. He knew how to talk to them when he got to the mound. And that's something that Jorge Alfaro is going to have to learn how to do. And, and he's he's the young pup with some of these pitchers. I mean, Aaron Nola has been in the league for – you know, a couple of years now, Jake Arrieta is, is, you know, uh, an established veteran, you know, some of these, you know, and and he is going to have some guys that are, you know, Pavetta is kind of in his, his age, you know, or his experience group. Um, you know, if lively or, or Eshelman or one of these other guys happens to, you know, come on, you know, and make some starts of, if a guy goes down with an injury, you know, he's going to be in that same kind of age peer experience group. So it'll be interesting to see. That's the next thing for me with Alfaro is how does he handle the pitching staff all right sounds good 
Who do you have for me, buddy? Up or down? Um, I, I think it's just been an interesting couple weeks. Um, for you know, basically one of the the mega stars of of the Philadelphia sports landscape, uh, Joel Embiid. Ooh, boy. I- Whenever I hear Joel Embiid's name, I don't care what it is. And even if it even if there's a negative connotation with something, I don't care. I always say the needle's moving up with him. Um if I had to say at this particular point in time, I would say the needle is moving up. And I say that more from an overall standpoint. I kind of go back to what we were just saying with our second story, how whether he and Ben Simmons and these guys finally on the court together, Len, and the fact that the playoffs are kind of right around the corner, season's going to be wrapping up in the near future, I think that uh, Joel Embiid is such a part of that. It's hard not to say that, and I know I'm being really simplistic here and very general, it's hard to say that his stock isn't going up. Yeah, sorry, obviously... Yeah, no, that's fine. I mean, he's he's a megastar, and you know he had a you know great stat line against um, against Indiana last night. I I do see a couple things, and and it's not completely on him. I, I think you know he is running into a thing where Brett Brown is going to have to give him, you know, a, a blow every now and again because I think you know look, this is a guy that's never played more than thirty one games. Right now, he's playing all these games, and he is kind of hitting a bit of a rookie wall. You saw that. He only I think, played twenty six minutes a couple yeah. nights ago, right? I, I believe I think it you're was right. Something yeah. Like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Against Brooklyn, he only played 26 minutes. That that Miami game, like uh, against Hassan Whiteside, who you know they have kind of a, a Twitter beef, like a trash talking. That's one of the few games in in a while that I can say, well, the opposing player took his lunch money, and that is something you almost never say with Embiid. Yeah. And yeah. and and it's not a talent thing. I think it was kind of a a fatigue thing. Um, with with Embiid, so to me, it's 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 about keeping him fresh, uh, right, and right? Because that Indiana game last night, I I rewatched it a little bit of it earlier, and you know the explosiveness was there. I mean, you saw it on on some plays. Um, it, it's just a matter of you know just managing him, just so that he's not completely burnt out by the time the playoffs come. So it's. I, that's why I asked, um, just because I, I just want to make sure that they're kind of doing right by him as, as we kind of go into the playoffs here. I think, yeah, you look at the minutes per game average for him, 31.2 minutes per game he's averaging this year. But I love the fact that he's averaging 11 rebounds per game with 31 minutes, just over 31 minutes. His uh, his three-point percentage is at 30.3% for a center like him. And then his overall field goal percentage, Len, is 48.6%. I, for a guy who's quote first real year in the NBA with limited minutes here and there, I, I'm still saying the needle's moving up for him at this point. His free throw shooting attempts are at 76. percent It's not terrible for this guy who's been plagued his just about his entire career with injuries and is really getting to a point where you said yes, is he maybe hitting that wall every now and then? Perhaps. Still doesn't mean the needle's not moving up for him. I think when you see stats like these, yeah, and 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 I do I do agree. Um, you know, overall, I mean, it, look, it's it's always going to be trending up for somebody as as just vastly talented and, yeah. and really untapped in a way. Uh, his his talent. I mean, you're you're still you're you're still not all the way there yet with him. Not even close. He's to Twenty three years old. Um. So I mean, yeah, absolutely. But I I just I want to make sure he's good to go for the playoffs in terms of not just being gassed yep yep 
All right, very good. That's going to do it for Up or Down. Now we're getting to what we're throwing down on the table this week. We have James Seltzer, who Len said, we know him from the BGN radio podcast where he gets into some Eagles talk with our good friends over there. But we wanted to bring James on because he's also the co-host of the High Hopes podcast, a great Phillies podcast that we've been listening to. So we are going to have a lot of Phillies talk to get into with James Seltzer right now. It's what we're throwing down on the table. And now on the table. All right, we got to get into some Phillies talk right now, and we have on the line with us, we know him mainly here at the Philadelphia Sports Table Podcast Show from the BGN Radio Podcast, but no, 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 he is on the High Hopes Podcast as well. We have Mr. James Seltzer with us. James, how you doing? Fellas, it is a pleasure. Uh, most people might not know, but baseball, actually my favorite sport. I always get excited when I get the opportunity to talk Phillies. And, and also with Len as well, because I feel like every time I do one of these, it's always just with Jeff. So yeah, I know. Both of you guys. Yeah, I know. Well, it's, you're usually doing uh, table talk stuff, right? Yes, he has been. Yeah. Yes, finally getting Je- James Jeff and Len connected. away from me. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very excited about this. I'm very excited. <laughs> well, James, you've been doing the High Hopes podcast now for for a little while. We enjoy. I listen to it on iTunes. I know everybody out there follow them on Twitter at High Hopes Pod. Um, how are things going with the uh, Phillies Pod? Um, and, and, and your co-hosts, they're great as well. Um, it, it is just a, such an amazing time. It's great you have this podcast. We wanted to talk Phillies with you. How things been going with it? Yeah, guys, I thank you. It is exciting uh, to do the pod and to be able to talk Phillies and be excited about it. I know we're going to get into Arietta and all that in just oh, a sec, yeah. but um, yeah, John Marks, Jack, Fre- uh, Jack Fritz, we do the IOPS pod together. John Marks, uh, we've been working together for a long time in this business and have always been trying to find ways to do things together and it never seems to work out. And uh, over the years, we've realized that we are the two people who love the Phillies the most every time we're together wherever we're with. So <laughs> yes. uh, it, it worked out. So pretty, pretty exciting. And uh, again, I like I, just the opportunity to talk baseball to anyone who will listen to me is something <laughs> I always think about. Absolutely. Yeah, we're like that here on the show. I'm more the football guy, the Eagles guy. Len is definitely more baseball Phillies guy. So it's, it's, it's a perfect marriage here this week. It's a beautiful thing, my yes, friend. Beautiful yes, it thing. is. I like it. Yeah, I didn't know what type of response I was expecting there from you. Sorry. <laughs> so we're going to get right yeah, into right. this. Yeah, well, right. Well, you know, I could go with a Len response and say something like, you know, I hope you die or something along those lines. <laughs> exactly. Right? Dark. Yeah, something dark. I decided to go with yeah, you know. <laughs> we love the dark humor on this show, but we got to get into some Phillies talk, of course. So, Len, I'm going to shoot it over to you. We got to talk about the big news from this week. So, go ahead, buddy. All right. So, yeah, I mean, the the big news this week overall, I mean, the, the gigantic free agent signing here, um, you know, getting Jake Arrieta, you know, this deal obviously, you know, makes the Phillies a better team. Um, but it seems to also signal that this front office feels that the team is a lot closer to being playoff caliber than, you know, maybe perhaps the national perception of the Phillies has been. Uh, what does this deal do for your expectations in 2018? Yeah, it's a great question, Lennon. It's um. It's really exciting because it's very rare that you can sign one guy, especially in March. And granted, that's been part of this weird kind of free agent class and how long some of these guys still out there on the market. But it is very rare that in spring training, you can add a guy to your team who takes you from a non-playoff contender 
to a legitimate playoff contender. I think it's that big a swing to bring a guy like Arietta in because of the need, obviously. You know, you had Aaron Nola and nothing after him, and, and we'll get into to some of the other options with the rest of the rotation and, and what I think of them. But with Jake Arietta, it's a guy who, look, he's not the guy who won the Cy Young a few years ago in 2015. That guy, one of the best pitchers I've ever seen in a single season, that second half he had was the best second half in the history of the sport, uh, and that is not hyperbole. Yeah. But I think what you're getting in Arietta now is you're getting a guy that this team doesn't have. You're getting a guy who legitimizes the rotation in a way that that wasn't before, legitimizes the franchise. Like you said, Len, in the sense that this team, since really 2011 and you know 12, the hanging on and then it starts to go down, has been a non-factor in the major leagues since then. And this is the first time that, that – they are, are kind of putting themselves on the map in the league and saying, hey, we're here to play. And, and I think that that's a big moment for this team, especially because you know, we've all talked a lot about how they're kind of, we believe they're gearing up for that 2019 offseason. Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, a bunch of other names on the market, Josh Donaldson, so many good players that I, I do think that to, to put yourself, to legitimize yourself a year before, to, to make a playoff push, and, and I do think that they are a wild-card contender. I don't know if they'll make the playoffs or not, but they're going to play meaningful September baseball for the first time in a while. So I, I think by doing that, you're putting yourself in a position, a position of power heading into next offseason in the sense that not only are you the team in the biggest market with the most money to spend, you know, the, uh, of the big market teams, with the most money to spend, but you're also saying, hey, we're a pretty good baseball team too, and, and you know these kids are going to grow. It's just it's really exciting, guys. They're going to hit, and to now have two guys at the top uh, kind of carry the load a little bit and, and the pressure taken off Nola that he doesn't have to do everything himself in terms of being that stopper. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, I, I, can't, I can't tell you how excited I am, guys. Yeah, and I'm really glad you mentioned. That, you know, you kind of uh, alluded to that that free agent class next year because I, I love the you know the optics of you know, okay, okay, we're going to pick up Arietta in in Middleton's private jet with the uh, the Phillies logo on the back and fly him down here and really treat him like like a, a first class big deal. And this is what we will do for you other free agents in the future if you choose to sign with us. I thought it was a great message yeah, to, well, to send to those guys. Len, Len I couldn't. I couldn't agree more, especially when you consider that Scott Boris is his agent. You know, oh, you're yeah. looking at the guy, Bryce Harper's agent, a lot of these big guys' agents. It's never bad to, to kind of show off in front of those people and totally agree with you. I, I think that is a, I think the optics of all of this are great. And you mentioned Middleton. Middleton's made it very clear. He wants to go for it. He wants to bring a trophy back to this town. And I, I believe him. Yeah. I, I almost feel like sometimes – uh, Clintac and McPhail may have been like, okay, dude, hold up, hold up. And, you know, with, with Middleton, because yeah. I feel like he yeah. wants to go and they're like, all right, let's be patient and do this right and all that. So it, it's an interesting dynamic there. Um, getting into uh, some of the other guys on this staff, you know, the addition of Arietta next to Nola, you know, it gives them the two definite answers, like you mentioned, and that's going to be huge. Uh, but it would be even better if one of Eikhoff, Velazquez, or Pavetta, you know, could make that step forward and give the, the Phillies three solid starters they could count on do you see any of these three you know kind of taking that leap this year so it's a great question and i think it's the kind of thing that can take them from a uh 81 win team to an 86 87 win team that type of difference or or a 78 win team to an 84 win team i think it could be a big difference Uh, and it's really interesting because the three guys are are very different situations 
I think if you're, you're looking for the safest bet to eat innings for you and be a solid pitcher, I still think it's Jared Eikhoff. I know last year was, the, was a rough year, but what I saw from him two years ago, the walk rate, the ability to have that type of control, like elite control, I, I think that that guy is still there. You know, he had the back issues last year. I'm a big believer that backs, outside of obviously a shoulder or elbow injury, I don't think there's anything worse a pitcher can have than a back injury. You know, your rotation, the whole, you know, the whole windup, the whole thing is so mechanical, and you have to repeat it so precisely every time that something a little bit off in your body can really throw your entire game off. And, and I, I hope, I was going to say I think, I hope that's what we saw from Eikhoff last year, and I do believe that there's still a really solid pitcher in there. Less likely to, to you know, I'm, I'm kind of less believing in, in Velasquez's ability to do that. And we'll get to that in a second. But with Velasquez, what you have is, is you know, I don't think you have nearly as much of a uh, potential for him to give you what Eikhoff could. But the ceiling is clearly much higher. You know, we saw it last season or whatever it was two years ago with that 16-strikeout game. And that's just been the thing that we cling on to. But the stuff is there. It's legitimate. It's just... If I'm going to be honest, I don't ever believe we're going to see it from Velasquez. I just don't believe he's ever going to be able to give you six, seven innings on a consistent basis. But I think it's worth trying, you know, to see if you can get him here. I'm I'm totally fine with them giving him another shot before maybe turning him into a bullpen piece or whatever. Uh, Because, you know, obviously it's so much more valuable if you can turn that guy into a starter. Even if he can give you five innings on a consistent basis, but five, you know, high-end innings, that'll be worth it, too. But I don't have uh, – if I had to bet my life, I wouldn't bet on it happening, but I think there's a lot of potential there. And then, obviously, I think Pavetta is similar to Velasquez, just a little bit lower end. I think his his floor might be a little higher than Velasquez just because I think he's less likely to, to you know throw his arm out tomorrow and, and be done for the year. But uh, I don't think his ceiling is quite as high. But Pavetta still has nice stuff. Uh, you know, it's the thing about Pavetta is really solid stuff. Of all those guys, the Livelys, the Eflins, those type of guys, Pavetta is the one I have the highest hopes for, and uh, no pun intended on the high hopes there. <laughs> uh, Nicely done. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, I, I didn't mean it. I heard it, and I was like, oh, I guess I got to say it. But um, I, I, think that, I think that there's some upside with Pavetta. Ultimately, I think kind of like Velasquez, I think, his, you know, where he ends up will be as a, a kind of long man type of guy out of the bullpen. I think there's a lot of potential there. I think he's uh, Mark Leiter Jr. on steroids potentially, but um, I, I worry about Pavetta ever really getting to that level of consistency. But to, to tie it back to the Arietta thing, interesting, uh, one point I didn't make enough is that how important I think Arietta can be for these younger guys, especially a guy like Pavetta who has that cross-body delivery very similar to what Arietta does. And that is something where uh, I think Pavetta can learn from Arietta. And if these young guys are open and receptive to having a guy like Arietta come in, a guy who is a workout monster, who is a guy who goes about his business with such diligence and such intensity, that if that can rub off on some of these younger guys, I mean, the talent's there. It's just a question of putting it all together. Yeah, that that thing of of having that kind of mentor, kind of like probably the way we felt when when Halliday uh, signed with the Phillies, uh, and you you saw Kyle Kendrick follow him around. Yeah, I I mean, I'm hoping the same thing happens there. Oh yeah, Yeah, it would be. And 
I think it will. And I think it will. I believe in Arietta in, in, from that perspective. He is that type of guy. And he's coming in to a locker room where it's a lot of young guys with, with nothing really on the resume. And there's a guy who's got a Cy Young Award, a World Series uh, ring. You know, I mean, there's a guy who's coming in with some serious pedigree. So uh, I'm with you, man. I think there's a lot of potential from that perspective. Yeah. James, yeah, you, were, you were talking. Wa- I, I was going to ask you about Vincent Velasquez anyway. So, I mean, I, just to kind of piggyback off what you were just saying about him. I mean, and, and I'm, I wanted to get your take on, is this kind of the final straw for him? I mean, you talked about him possibly being in the bullpen. Listen, I think Vincent Velasquez has some good stuff but do you think the Phillies are in that do or die position with him at this point as we're looking to this season I might what might we see him in the bullpen I mean could we dive into this a little bit more what are your thoughts yeah Jeff it's a great question and and uh, as I alluded to I think that at least in my eyes long term I think he does end up there but I don't think it's going to be this season I don't think it's going to be yet Mostly because when a guy has the type of talent that Vinny Velasquez does and has the potential or even ability to use that talent over five, six, seven innings, it is such a valuable thing to a franchise as compared to a guy who's going to give you, you know, 60, 70, 80 innings over a season to get 180 innings out of a guy, 170 innings out of a guy. It's just so much more valuable. So I do think that teams generally will have longer leashes with guys like that because. Ultimately, and, and look, maybe if Velasquez is wearing down, you put him in the bullpen to save the arm. I could see them maybe doing that. Yeah. But in terms of, of actually converting him to a reliever and saying, oh, he's our closer of the future, or whatever you want to say, I would be really surprised if they give up on the upside of him as a starter already. Okay. All right. Well, listen, we, we're very optimistic here. I mean, we hear it in your voice, James. Len, I know you're optimistic. I'm optimistic surrounding this team during spring training here over these past couple weeks. And I wanted to get your particular thoughts, James, on what's really kind of driving this optimism. Is it that we have a healthy club? Is it the Carlos Santana, Arietta, even, you know, Pat Neshack deals that happened in the offseason here? I mean, Gabe Kapler coming in as manager. Maybe it's all of the above here. You know, you talked about your expectations with Len, but, you know, where is that level of optimism for you? Where does it come from? It's a great question, Jeff. I think it's a a mix of all of the above, at least to some level. But I do think certain things stand out. Clearly, the Arietta signing, we you know, it's taken it to a different level. It's just the type of thing where when you add the best free agent pitcher on the market to a team that that can hit and you know they're going to hit and and has a bullpen and just needs pitching, it, that that in and of itself bringing a guy like that in. I said on the radio this week, I mean, it might be the biggest free agent signing in this city since Namdi, like in terms of in (laughs) the moment, not, you know, results over process, but in the moment, the impact that it had. So um, I I think that is is driving the recent excitement. But I also think on the whole, it's the fact that there's young guys to get excited about now. We spent a long time hearing about Reese Hoskins, hearing about Scott Kingery, hearing about J.P. Crawford, hearing about Jorge Alfaro, about all these guys, these are the guys, this is the wave. When they come up, it's the new generation of Phillies baseball. We've heard that for years now, you know, two, three years for some of these guys. Now we actually get to see it. Now we actually get to see with our own eyes. And then when you add in what Reese did at the end of last season and Crawford coming up with a 350 OBP in a month and, and 
play, making great plays defensively and seeing what these young guys did last year and then leading that into this year, Kingery just murdering the ball in spring training and all that type of stuff. I think it's that for the first time really since 2006, is there a time where we're going from a, a dark down era of Phillies baseball and finally seeing light at the end yeah. of the tunnel and it being right there in front of us. So, well, I think it's a lot of stuff. I think it's the, the commitment to, to saying, hey, we're going to go get Carlos Santana. Hey, we're going to go get Jake Arrieta. Hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to try and start to move this thing forward. But I think it's the fact that we finally get to see that youth. And, and again, to, to hark back to that, you know, a little over a decade ago, that feeling of, of Ryan Howard coming up and Chase Utley coming <laughs> yeah. up and Jimmy Rollins coming up. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, yeah. and we can only hope that it's that great. But I think that, that the optimism comes from that feeling of, of – this this gestating type of thing that we've been waiting for finally starting to blossom. Uh, well, speaking of optimism, some of us actually still have a certain level, a certain level of optimism surrounding one Michael Franco. <laughs> Listen, we know that uh, <laughs> we know that he now has a new closed stance that he's been trying to get used to over the past couple weeks in spring training. Things are still a bit shaky for him, inconsistent. I'm thinking that if Franco can magically hit maybe 255, 260, then perhaps we'll have something maybe with him in the future, James. But if we get to June and he's hitting around, you know, 200, 210, which isn't out of the realm of possibility, I'm wondering what your thoughts are that the Phillies actually look to bring in that next third baseman. And I'm talking about possibly going all in on Manny Machado at that point. I mean, But basically, what does Franco need to do to keep his job. I mean, how bad does he need to stink it up to lose it? <laughs> well, Jeff, there are people who still have optimism for Michael Franco. Sadly, I am absolutely not one of those right. people. Uh, <laughs> right. you know, it just look, I, I, I've been burned too many times right now with Michael Franco and I get it. And, and I'm a big you know believer in, in that, that age that he is at, you know, you're 26, 27, 28. That's the time that baseball players either usually break out or go through their physical prime. Their top level of performance is generally at this part of his age where Michael Franco is. And it just seems like he's older than he is because he has been up forever. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, the, 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 what I see with Michael Franco and what I've seen consistently and over and over and over and over and over again is just a lack of, of approach, a, a bad approach at the plate consistently. And for someone who's been in the majors for four years now, or whatever it is, to continue to do the same thing year after year after year after year and to just rely on his athleticism and physical abilities and not do anything else to become a better player, to become a better hitter, that's just not the type of guy that I'm going to believe in long term. And, you know, it's just the same thing every single year. The opening up of the stands, the, the, the swinging at balls out of the strike zone, the, the unwillingness to take walks. It, uh, again, I would love to see Michael Franco. And I, and I understand why people still do have optimism. I get the fact that, again, he's 26 years old and, and has a, a ton of talent. Like, it is such a bummer that he is not the guy that he should be. But I, and look, I also believe I'm a big change of scenery guy. I, I do think that sometimes players just need to get to a different place, a different environment, oh, yeah. and they will change. We see it all the time. It happens all the time. But uh, at least for Michael Franco in Philadelphia as a Philly, I just I'm past the point of believing that that's ever going to work out. I think that you're going to see Scott Kingery play some third base. I think they could 
potentially have Cesar take third base reps if needed. I think they're going to look, I think they're going to give him a chance again uh, for the same reason that we talked about with Velasquez and, and mentioned before with Franco, he's 26 years old and he has all the talent in the world. And you hope that Carlos Santana can have an impact on him. And you hope that Gabe Kapler can have an impact on him. But for me personally, I, I need to, to see it and I need to see it uh, consistently over a period of, of multiple months for me to be back on board with okay so you're so in terms of the Manny Machado uh, talk oh yeah probably uh, wait I, till next week think they're going after yeah, yeah but, but wait till way, next think, year or maybe this year going, I, look I think at this point there's no reason to trade for Machado unless you truly believe that you're not going to be able to sign him I I think the Phillies for years for a couple years now have targeted Harper and Machado and this offseason coming up 2019 and I think that Machado is the guy they've always liked you know yeah. he's got those Orioles roots uh, I think that Machado is the guy they've earmarked I think it's the guy they want and I think that Manny Machado is going to be a Philly next offseason uh, one of those two guys will be I really genuinely believe that I've said that for a long time I think that they, they have the money they have the roster it's a perfect fit so yeah I, I, I that certainly influences my belief in Franco as well I just I don't think he's the long-term answer at third, and, and clearly I don't believe in him in the near term, so <laughs> not in the long term. Yeah, I'm not sure that new close stance is going to be doing him any favors necessarily right out of the gate this season. No, look, <laughs> and I love the concept, and, and I, right, do, right. I, I do generally, if I'm going to believe in it, a change is happening, it's not because the guy's in the best shape of his life, because they all are. Right. It's, it's, uh, it's because there's a real change. It's because, oh, this guy's got a new pitch that is lights out, or this guy's been working on it. He's working from a different side of the rubber and it's making a big difference. Or he has completely changed his batting stance. and He's closed and blah, blah, blah. Like all that type of stuff, launch angle, whatever it is, that's the type of stuff where I can be like, all right, like maybe there's a legitimate change here where something is going to be different. But with Franco, I, I just, again, I need to see it to believe it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Len, I'm going to shoot it over to you, bud. Okay, well, this is kind of related to everything we've just been talking about here. And, it, like, there's one key word that I think has emerged early in the Gabe Kapler era, and that's versatility. Uh, it seems like this trait may benefit, you know, Scott Kingery more than anyone else on this roster, um, you know, especially when you consider the third base position. If the Phils, you know, have even an inkling in spring training that, that Franco is not going to be the answer at third, do you think they force, you know, reps with Kingery at third, just, you know, whether it's in spring training or, or that the first little bit in Lehigh Valley? I mean, are they going to primarily force him uh, at, at third base there, do you think? It's a great question. I, I First and foremost, to the Gabe Kapler point, yes. Absolutely. I think versatility is going to be key. I think you're seeing it starting to happen across Major League Baseball. I think that's going to be a big change that you see over the next decade is extra importance on guys who can do multiple things. And, you know, we're seeing an extreme example of that with Shohei Otani out in, uh, in Los Angeles this season. But I think that guys who can do multiple things are going to be a, a market inefficiency moving forward. It's going to be the type of thing where we're going to see more and more of it because it keeps working. Um, so I do think that versatility matters. And, and I think that Gabe Kapler is the exact type of person who's always looking for a market inefficiency. He's always looking to do something different, the outfield shifts, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But uh, I think that all that type of stuff is good. I, I think you should be looking for guys who could do multiple things and, and versatile guys. So I think that regardless of the Franco situation, I think they like the idea because Kingery, who is a, a great defender at second base, but probably could play other positions well as well. I mean, he's just a really talented defender. I think you 
play third with no problem. I think he can play outfield if needed. He's a really athletic, good defender. So I, I feel fine with them putting him at third. I think long-term you want to get Kingery back to second base just because, again, he is a plus defender at second base. And more so, the bat plays so well at second base. If you've got that bat at second base and you bring in a Manny Machado at third base or something like that, like all of a sudden you've you know, you got a real lineup going out there every day. So um, I, I love the idea of versatility. I certainly think that a guy like Kingery who can do that is going to be asked to do it. And I think you're going to see more of it with the Phillies. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And it's a shame because, I, I mean, they, they have in Cesar Hernandez a really good player, a guy that's, that's really improved oh, yeah. over the past couple of years. And I, I feel like, in a way, we're like trying to sweep him under the rug here in order, all right, let's just get to the Kingery totally. era. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I'm he's, with you. Yeah, I, I, he, he, I feel like he just doesn't get mentioned a lot in, in any of the Phillies' plans here. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's shown legitimate improvement three years in a row. To get the on-base percentage up to 366, like talking about, we were just talking about Michael Franco and a guy who just has done nothing to work on his, his deficiencies, his flaws. Cesar is the opposite. Cesar has improved every single year he's been in the league and, and has really turned himself into a really nice hitter. A uh, guy who's going to get on base for you, a guy who can steal a few bases, actually led the team in steals last year, even though not that many. Um, but I, I'm with you. I think he's a very underrated player. And look, if nothing else, whether it becomes Kingery there and they go Machado, uh, Cesar, at the price he's at with the, the club control they have, he's a legitimate asset for them regardless. Absolutely. And uh, remember, if you are not already following James on Twitter, do so at James Seltzer. And again, the High Hopes podcast on Twitter at High Hopes Pod. Listen to them on iTunes. I know that's where I listen to the High Hopes podcast. And uh, you guys are on some other platforms too, right, James? Correct, yeah. Uh, you can get us on the CBS Philly website, cbsphilly.com. Um, but, I mean, I, 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 I'm i with you. I, I listen to everything. Yes, yes. Most people go about it. Yep. All right. I got one more question for you. Len's got another question to close us out then as well. But one of the most interesting parts of this team, in my eyes, going into this season, James, is going to be the outfield. I mean, it's been reported, as we know, Phils and Gabe Kapler, they're going to try some unique outfield shifts, you know. And I'm thinking Hoskins and Herrera probably going to be playing just about every day simply because they're the better players out there. So Hoskins and the Williams Altair platoon essentially uh, shuttle between left and right fields based on the hitter at the plate. And then the Williams and Altair platoon will then play wherever the hitter is most likely to hit the ball. I, I think this sounds so cool in theory, but I wonder how it's going to work in the real world, in real game situations. Do you have any concerns about these new outfield shifts at all? Uh, you know, how some have said it could potentially maybe stunt Reese Hoskins' development in the outfield. I wanted to get your thoughts on how these new outfield shifts are going to play out over the season. I love them. I love them so much. I can't even stand it. <laughs> I don't. Ha I don't have any issue with them at all. I think it's the exact type of reason that they brought Kapler here. They brought in a guy who's going to try different things. Who's going to look at the way baseball has been played for a hundred and whatever years and say, "Huh, why do we do it that way? There's probably a better way to do it." Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love that 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 mentality. You know, and and, and I think there's a perfect example like. Why wouldn't you do that? I, I don't see any downside at all. Like that stunting uh, Hoskins development, I, I don't really know how it stunts his development that much. I okay. mean, it's not like 
the, if you're talking about how many balls are, aren't going to get hit to him because it, I mean, we're t- it's, here's the thing. I, I love it because it's different and I want him to keep doing things like this. I don't think it's going to make a huge difference. I mean, you look at the number of balls that are hit to right field, left field, all that type of stuff. It's very unlikely that when they do these switches, that the balls will be hit to those spots with enough of occasion where it's going to influence many games, but it could happen in a big spot and it could make all the difference in a big game. You know what I mean? So I I think it's totally worth it. I'm not worried about stunning Hoskins development. Ultimately, I think Hoskins will be a first baseman eventually down the road anyway. Um, but look, if you can get a better fielder in a spot where the team is more likely to hit the ball, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't do it. And, and I, I like the Altair Williams platoon, and I don't know. I think one of those guys could end up being traded down the road potentially, but both are really good fielders, so I think it works for this type of thing. And I've, the one criticism I've heard people say, oh, they're, aren't, aren't they going to get tired running back and forth? It's like, dude. They're probably going to do it like based on stuff where it's, it's exaggerated <laughs> stuff. It's, right. it's, uh, it's going to happen three times a game, four times a game, max, maybe never during a game. Right. And we're talking about professional athletes jogging from one side of the field to the other. We're not going to get straight away with that. Right? So, I know. I, I've seen some I, reports I where people were. Yeah, I've heard. Audience. Yeah, I've heard the reports where you've got some reporter trying to create a story to say, you know what, there's going to be wear and tear on these guys because they're jogging around a little bit extra out there. And I read it. It's and I say, outrageous. come on. Get out of here. <laughs> you know, and it's so absurd. These are baseball players. Are you kidding me? Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. No, I, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> All right, Len, buddy, I'm going to shoot it over to you. Last question for James. Go ahead, my man. Yeah, just before I it, it just we're, we're acting like this is like, you know, and, and look, I love John Crook, you know, loved him as, as a Philly, but this isn't John Crook, you know, <laughs> baseball player here. These, yes. these guys are, are serious athletes at this point in time. Um, yeah. yeah. All right. Well. Just uh, for the last question, want to get back into the pitching uh, for a moment here. Um, the Phillies bolstered the bullpen by bringing back Pat Neshek and adding Tommy Hunter. Between those two and the pieces they've already have had in place here, do you have an ideal way that you'd like to see the pen shake out as far as which roles go to which players? It's a great question because I think that we have talked a lot about how good this offense is going to be. We've talked a lot before the Arietta signing about how bad this pitching staff, starting staff was going to be and uh, how much better it could be with Arietta. I don't think we've talked enough about what they did with this bullpen. I think this bullpen could end up being a real strength of this baseball team. I really like the group of guys they've got there. I, I love the idea to bring Neshek back, even if they trade him at the deadline again. You know, whatever happens, I, I love bringing that guy in here. He's just a good pitcher you can count on. Tommy Hunter, man, not only is he a really good pitcher – they signed him at the exact right time in the market where they got him for $3 million less a year, uh, 2 to $3 million more less per year than every other reliever in his range in terms of, of talent. Uh, I love that signing. He is a really good pitcher, a former starter back in the day. Um, can give you a couple innings when you need it. And then some of the guys they got here, I think, you know, Hector Neris, a really good pitcher. I feel good with him at the back end. Um, and then some guys who blossomed last year we haven't talked enough about all of a sudden, Adam Morgan is not the butt of a joke, but a devastating yeah. lefty reliever to have in your bullpen. He's a terrific reliever. I mean, Ramos, Garcia, I just feel really good about this bullpen. In terms of, of the roles themselves, I think you're going to see Neris as the closer. He makes the most sense. None of the guys. It's not like you have a Greg Holland or someone coming in who's like, that's the closer guy. So I think you keep Neris at the end. I think the closer, the Scarlet C thing is kind of a silly thing to begin with anyway. I do believe there are certain guys who handle those situations better than others, but I also think that it's, it's silly to, to save your best pitcher for a, 
what could be a, a four one or three one or two one game instead of using him in a, in a you're losing one to nothing in a massive game and you need to, to score this inning, whatever it is. I love what Terry Francona did in the playoffs a couple years ago to, to we used Andrew Miller. It's kind of shifting the bullpen roles, you know, uh, kind of what it's been throughout history. So I love the concept of using your best pitchers in high leverage situations. So roles, I don't like have a seventh inning guy, an eighth inning guy, that type of thing. But I do think that, that in terms of you're going to see Neris, Neshek, Hunter, and Morgan probably be those four guys you see in the highest leverage of situations based on matchups. Yeah, I would agree with that. And you never want to see uh, them get into a situation like uh, I, I, who was it? The Orioles with uh, with Zach Britton in that wild card game a couple of years ago, where they they just yes, never I, brought him a in. Perfect example. They never. They have the best. He's their best pitcher at any spot in the rotation, bullpen, whatever. Their best pitcher. The guy didn't give up a run all season long, or whatever it was. And didn't miss a save, and you just don't even pitch him in a close game. I, I just I don't understand that way of thing. And I and I think Gabe Kapler w- will not be that way. Obviously, this guy's looking to do things different. Yeah, yeah, man, it's exciting times for sure. Uh, Philly season right around the corner. And James, we thank you so much for coming on Philadelphia Sports Table Podcast Show this week with us, and we cannot wait to have you on again. Everybody out there, listen to the High Hopes Podcast. James, thanks so much, buddy. We appreciate it. Literally anytime you guys want me, <laughs> I will drop what I'm doing, and I'll be there. Uh, and I really thank you for having me. It's exciting, guys. We, can, we got a Phillies baseball season to talk about. It's great. Yeah. It's finally and one here. That, one that you know, we have genuine expectations for. Yes. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's going to be it's great. Awesome. Thanks, James. I am so ready, Len, for this Philly season, man. I love talking to James. He gets so excited about whether it's we're talking to the Eagles or now the Phillies with him. My gosh, I can't wait for the season. Yeah, yeah, just talking to him. I mean, you can't help but you feel his excitement and you get excited yourself. And and there's just there's so much to look forward to yeah. uh, with this team this year. Even, even before the Arietta signing, but you know, especially now. I mean, there, there's just so much. I can't wait to see how this plays out. Dude, the pitching's going to be interesting. And listen, I know there were injuries last year and it was a real bummer what happened with Nola and just what happened with Eikhoff and, and, and Vince Velasquez. But it, it, I... This pitching staff is going to be really freaking interesting, like seriously interesting in the NL East here. Yeah, I, I mean, Eikhoff, I'm glad he mentioned Eikhoff because, you know, that yeah. that's a guy that, you know, I think that was an injury thing too. I, I think that he is more of the guy from two years ago. And that one guy I, I just keep thinking about is just because the fact that they mentioned him so much. Uh, in the offseason was Nick Pavetta. Like I, I yeah, just kept yeah. hearing his name from the front office. And it just to me that just signifies that like whatever it is, they they believe in him this year. So I'm I'm interested to see what he does that, you know, warranted all that talk, I guess. Yeah. Many thanks to James again. And just to let everybody know, Len and I recorded the first part of this show, of course, before we did the interview this week. And during our Eagles talk, we had talked about Patrick Robinson and amazingly enough, acting like he was going to be re-signing with the Eagles. So during the time that we recorded the first part of the show and then the interview with James between there, we received word that Patrick Robinson is not going to be an Eagle anymore. In fact, he is going to be heading to the New Orleans Saints Four years, $20 million contract, $10 million of that guaranteed. I still think, though, Len, that they have shored up this defense. And like I talked earlier in the show, the fact that 
it's such a priority for the team because of the playoffs and that expectation that once you get to the playoffs, your defense has to pull through and come through for you. They've got a lot of talented cornerbacks on this team now. I'm not 100% sure, and it may go against maybe something I said earlier, but losing Patrick Robinson, I don't know if it's going to be a, a, a such a downer for this defense. Did he produce? Yes, but I don't know if it's a huge, huge loss. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, this really is just blink and you miss it uh, yeah. in terms of, the, in terms <laughs> yeah. of this offseason. Yeah. It, I've, I've <laughs> I really can't remember anything like it. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, look, they have talent there at the corner position. Jalen Mills is a talented guy. Ronald Darby, you know, he, he has some deficiencies in his game, but he's a talented guy as well. Um, you know, we all think the world of Sidney Jones and are interested to see what he's going to bring. So the cupboard isn't bare by any stretch. I would have liked to have had that, like we talked about earlier, that kind of veteran presence there yeah, um, yeah. At, at the corner position. But, you know, Look, by by the time you put this show up tomorrow, they may sign another corner for all we know. So <laughs> exactly. who knows at this point? You know, you really can't, you know, say, well, I guess this is the lineup, you know, because, right. um, you know, God only knows at this point. Exactly. I mean, free agency technically has started right now as we're doing the outro here to the podcast. But uh, we don't we don't know what's going to happen with this Eagles team in the future. What's going to happen? with Michael Kendricks, Vinnie Curry, possibly Nick Foles, doubtful at this point. Who knows? We're going to continue talking about it here at the Philadelphia Sports Table in the weeks to come. Of course, we're certainly going to be getting into the upcoming NFL draft, how the moves that the Eagles have made, not only in free agency, but just some of the trades that they've made as well, how that's going to impact the draft. We're going to be talking about all of this on future shows. So I think that's going to do it for us this week, my man. Do you have anything else you want to get into before we let the listeners uh uh, uh, before we give them a break, <laughs> um, I do not. You know, just uh, it, it's been an interesting, I think, week uh, so far with uh, with the Eagles and and obviously with the Arietta signing. So let let's see what happens here. Yeah, there's lots and lots of optimism with the Sixers, the Flyers, the Phillies, the Eagles, Villanova, Villanova, of course. It is a good time to be a Philadelphia sports fan. So. With that, we're going to sign off for this week. Take care, everybody. We'll catch you next time.